I am ready. And um, like I say, this is really a two-part message. And next week's is going to be a little bit more hard than it is fun. I say that to say this. Um, I don't want to be one of those preachers that just preaches all the time the fun stuff. Because the truth is, there's a lot more in the Bible than just, you know, that stuff. Life is real. And God is a real God and has, has solutions for real life. But it's not all the fun stuff. I, and next week, I'm going to be moving into the next part of this message. And it will be some hard stuff. But I'm thankful that we're a church that wants to do the right stuff so we understand there may be have some hard stuff that we have to look in a mirror and see but we're willing to let God do in us. But I'm excited. God's got such big plans for you. You have no idea how much how many big plans God has for you. You you can't even imagine the Bible says. It actually and pull it up for me, Joe, Ephesians three twenty. It says that you can't even think or imagine. It haven't even entered into your thoughts what God has planned for you. He, he has thought and planned so many great things for your life that even your wildest dreams, it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. In other words, you can, in the NIV, you don't got to go to NIV, Joe, but it says, in the NIV it says this, it says, even exceedingly abundantly above all that you can even imagine. God has so many great things He's already planned for you. It far exceeds your imagination, what you've even thought about, what you've even dreamed about. But it says this, according to the power that works within us. You say, well, Cricket, why don't I have all these things? Because God's doing something on the inside of you. And what he started doing on the inside of you, the Bible says if you will allow him to continue to do, he will be faithful and he will complete it. And there will be a day that if you allow God to do what he is doing on the inside of you, you will become everything that God put you here to be. And it is great. You have no idea how great God has plans for you. And I'm just excited that you know, God did not put you here for you to have a rough existence or a mundane being or, you know, an ordinary life. Nobody in this place was born to live an ordinary life. God did not create you to just get up, go to work, go through your day. Get up, go to work, go through your day. God created you for greatness. You have to know that. You say, well, Cricket, you say that to everyone. No, I don't. I didn't tell everyone a hundred years ago that. Because I wish you could understand that you're here at this time because God has such great things He's doing, wanting to do on this earth that He needed you specifically to do it. And you say, well, Cricket, I've been a Christian a long time. I know. That's awesome. That means you're just closer to being all that God's wanted you to be. There's a scripture in um, Revelations 
21, verse 5, Joe. I, I ain't even got on. I gave him a whole list of scriptures, and we're not even on them today. We, we may not even get on them. All right. Go to Revelation 21, 5 real quick. I want you to see something. I love this. is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And it says, And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now, I like the scripture one because... Jesus here, he's the boss, man. He Look at, look at, he, he's the one, says he's sitting on the throne. I, I love this picture of Jesus because that's my king. He's not in a tomb. He's not on a cross anymore. He's on the throne. And he said this, behold, I make all things new. Do you know Jesus is in the new making business? But a lot of times, see, we get stuck in the thought pattern that, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what do we do if He's doing new things, but He's always been the same? What, what does that mean? It means He's always been doing new things. And what He's wanting to do is He's wanting to do a new thing in you. He will remain the same. He will remain faithful. He will remain good. He will remain sovereign. He will remain all that He is. But what He wants to do is a new thing in you. The entire premise of the Bible and of the Gospel is that God does new things. And what does a new thing in God's hands look like? Well, you can look at what, how Jesus lived and you can see... One of the first miracles Jesus did, the Bible says he turned water into wine. Now, being a preacher, and you read that story, you think, Jesus, why in the world would you pick that? Well, uh, you know how much trouble that causes us in the church, Jesus turning water into wine. Um, because, you know, people, you know, we, we say, but I believe he did it for this reason. Because... He was wanting you to see and us to know that God wants you to move to a place where your life is full of life. At no matter what shape it's in. In that story when he turned water into wine, the Bible says he didn't just turn ordinary water into wine. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he turned the water that was sitting in a pot by the door that was for cleansing feet into wine. In other words, back then it was customary, they had these big pots at the door. And when you came to somebody's house, they would take that water and they would wash their feet before you came into the house. So that wasn't clean water. Wasn't even probably good water. I mean, it's going to be foot washing water. And the, the, the shape that water was in. you got to imagine that it was dirty, nasty, foot-washing water. He could have went to the drinking water well and got water out of there, but that's not the nature of God. God will take something that somebody has messed up so bad. Something that somebody would look at and think, there's no way God could ever use this. That God would take something that somebody would say that's so full of mistakes and messes. And then he'll do something new in it. And the Bible says this. The Bible says, they told Jesus, said, you know, 
take, 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 he told, called one of the servants and said, now take a cup and dip in this water, the foot washing water, and go give that cup to the master. Now wouldn't you like to have that servant's job? Because it wasn't wine yet. It wasn't wine. The, the Bible says that the servant had to dip the water out. And it says, and as he carried it, then the miracle took place. Don't you know that guy was nervous? The head servant having to go to the Lord of the house and give him foot washing water. I have felt like that so many times. feel like I come into a place and I'm going to come and give God something that I am. And I felt like I'm nothing more than foot washing water. But you've got to understand the power of God. Why He can take the mistakes, the dirt, the messes we've brought in. And as we come to the Lord of the house, miracle takes place. And this is what it says. He, the Bible says, The master took a drink and said, You have saved the very best till now. I want you to know something. You're God's very best. You are God's very best. He has saved you for now. He didn't bring you here 50 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Why? Because God saves His best for last. This, you are here because God has such great plans for you. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how dirty your life may have been. If you let the hands of God get involved in your life, if you will begin to do, this is what, the, this is what said, the, Jesus' mother said, told the services, do as he says. Let me tell you something. You want to go from foot washing water to something that God has saved the best for last? You just do what he said. You just decide, I'm going to do what he says. You don't got to, you don't got to know why. That, you know how many things I have to do that I don't understand? I do things, I talk on my phone way probably more than I should, but I don't understand how that phone works, but I take full advantage of it. Um, I was, I, I've gotten into Netflixing nowadays. Uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, my girls were really into Netflix, and I was into, I don't you know, I get stuck in the way things have always been. And so I, I like cable. I like cable. Now, I don't like TV because that was before me, really, where you actually have to watch the commercials. I like cable where I can DVR and fast-forward the commercials. And I think that's modern. My girls are into Netflix majorly. And they're, they're you know what I'm saying, they watch these shows and they can do all this. And we're just now getting into, I'm getting into it. And I don't know, understand how all that works. I like it. I'm realizing, man, I like it. I'm getting to where I enjoy, even though I'm hesitant a lot of times to making new changes. Nobody likes change, but you need to understand something. There's one constant things in life. One constant thing in life is this. You're always going to be changing. And if you don't, everything around you will. So you eventually will. And so I'm hesitant in changes, but I don't understand how everything works. But I'm learning. I don't have to understand everything to get the benefit out of it. And you may not understand how God's going to do what He's going to do, but if you'll just be willing to do as He says, do as He says, you'll find out God's adventure for your life. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, said the Lord. Plans of good, not of evil. Now, we get all excited about that Scripture. It says, plans to give you a future 
and plans to give you a hope. Now, that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, God says, I know the plans I have for you. All right, let's even go back further. Psalms 139 says this, that God knows you before you were born. He formed you in your mother's womb. He said that he, he knew your inward beings and your inward parts. You're wonderfully and beautifully created. It says that he had more thoughts about you than, the thoughts, than there are sands on the seashore. It's a lot of thoughts. You need to understand this. None of them were ever bad. There wasn't a single thought he had about you bad because that word thoughts is the same word in Jeremiah 29, 11. If you read it in the NIV, it says, I know the, or in the King James, it says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil. God don't think bad about you. He never has thought bad about you. He created you and he knows what he created. Me and you are the ones that convince ourselves that we're anything less than what God has made us. We allow the voice on the inside of us to be able to tell us, our voice on the outside of us to tell us who we are. But the only person that can ever really tell you who you are is the one that made you. Now, one of the problems we don't ever, one of the reasons why we don't ever become what God wants us to become is because of the voices are the songs we allow to be sung to us and about us. Now, how many people sing in here? You like to sing. How many people can actually sing? <laughs> now, Chip. <laughs> Chip. <laughs> Have you ever been sitting by somebody in church that Man, they're in song, they're in worship, and they're sitting there in worship, and they're, they're going all in. I mean, they are all in singing. That's, that's why I never really like to get close to people during worship, because I don't sing good, but I, I can worship, because the Bible says I just have to make a joyful noise. I make a lot of noise. And if you ever sit around me, you won't be able to worship well, because you're going to be thinking, my God, is he that tone deaf? But... There are times I just get all in. I was driving, and you ever been driving in your car, and you get so all in worship or all in the music you're listening to that you kind of forget about anybody sitting around you, or in the—I mean, you're in your car alone, and you forget about the people that are driving by, and you just begin to sing, and you go all in, and you're just—you're just, you're just uh, at it. I mean, you're doing the whole. The, the, the stink face and the, the Mariah Carey hands and you're just doing your thing all in because you, you think you're alone and then all of a sudden you look over and somebody's looking at you at the red light and you don't care because they can't hear you so they don't know if you're good or not and you're just all in. Well, the other day I was driving Haley, I mean not Isla, to daycare. I dropped her off and on my way back Usually I throw on my worship music and drive back because it takes about 25 so minutes to get from daycare back to where I'm working. And you know, I was, I was um, drop out, usually put on my work with me, but I didn't even put music in there. I, I, I was driving, and all of a sudden I caught myself singing. And it was like, na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. I said, you're laughing, but na, na, na. Elmo's world. And I was all in on it. And I hate Elmo. I never would have thought I was an Elmo guy. But I got three daughters. And all three of my daughters have liked Elmo. And I did not have not even realized it. But over the last ten years, 
Elmo's world has played so many times going to school or going home or sitting around the house or, you know, now, and now they got this new one, the Elmo slide. Have y'all heard that? The Elmo slide? Um, and, and, and these songs now when I'm sitting or alone, they'll, they'll be playing in my head and playing. And I'll catch myself singing, the Elmo slide, the Elmo slide. The, now you're going to go home and you'll Google this and you'll see. Elmo's got a whole new slide. But it has been an environment that not by my choosing... As a matter of fact, we've got a, I, I called Jen this morning. I was going to get her to send me a picture. We got an Elmo stuffed doll about this big. And I, you know, I usually get upset at the girls when they leave their toys all over the house. But I don't when they leave that one there laying on the ground because every once in a while I like to go by and just get a good stomp on him <laughs> without them being around because I'm so sick of this red puppet. But the song has been in my environment so many times that even when I'm not aware of it, it's a dialogue now that plays in my head and in my thought. What I'm saying is saying this. For me to be what God wants me to be, I'm going to have to quieten some of the voices that are on the outside of what I'm going through. Because if I am not aware I will let what other people have said, what other people have thought, what other circumstances may have played out around me so many times in my past to get on the inside of me that they change the dialogue on the inside of me. And if I allow the dialogue on the inside of me to change to anything except the Word of God, it changes where I end up. What you got to understand is you can't judge a book by its cover on this instance. Nowadays, you can't look at somebody and tell where they're from because the world has changed so much. You can't look at somebody and tell by the color of their skin what part of the world they originated or grew up in anymore. The other day, me and Yvette were talking about this. There was a a Chinese lady that I thought she was, she, we were at a Chinese restaurant and she worked at a Chinese restaurant and she, you know, they were preparing Chinese food and she was going from table to table talking to everybody there and the way she was dressed, the atmosphere we were in and the color of her skin and the uh, physical characteristics of her genealogy all came down to, I thought she was from China. When she came up, she had a Texas accent. She was born and raised in Texas. You can't tell by looking at somebody where they've been, but the minute they open their mouth, you can. And what I'm saying is this. It is so important that you understand the external voices, but also you stay on top of the internal voice. Because if you can't move yourself to being a God-word talker, you'll never be a God's-word liver. You can't tell by looking at somebody where they've been, but you can spend just a few minutes around them and know where they're from. And I can spend 
a few minutes around somebody and listen to what they let come out of their mouth and let me know whether or not they're living in the land of victory or they're living in the land of defeat. Whether they're living in the land of faith or they're living in the land of doubt. And where you live is what you'll be. Now, God has great plans for you. He wants great things for you. But you've got to understand, just because it's not going on right now in your life, doesn't mean it's not the plan of God. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. It says thoughts in the key. I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Those thoughts were not random thoughts. They were all put together into a, a train of thought God has planned. Because in, in the NIV it says, I know the plans. Those thoughts weren't random. They weren't disappointment. They weren't sporadic. They were planned thoughts. It says, for you good, not evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Now, we love that scripture. That scripture will excite you, but you need to understand, if you drop back just a few verses to verse 4, when you read that scripture, you say, wow, God's got great plans for me. And you pull it out and you say, but my life looks like this, but God's word says this. My life." You need to understand when God gave this word. Go back to verse 4 for me. 29 verse 4. It says this. It says, And the Lord, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. God told the people that were living in captivity that I know the plans that I have for you. When their circumstance looked like God had abandoned them, when their circumstance looked like God wasn't aware of them, when their circumstance were very bad, they were captive, and not just captive. The Bible says, whom I caused to carry you away. In other words, God caused them to end up in the situation they were in right then. But yet God knew the plans for them. You say, well, Cricket, I look in my life and I see some hardship and I see some, you know, how could God have good plans for me if, he, if this is going on? You need to understand something. God's plans for you far exceed any of your expectations or even your imaginations. And you have to be able to come to a place where you trust God's plans because they will be good for you even if right now you can't see how they're working. I'm going to jump real quick into... A, a scripture and a story that I know I'm going back two weeks on. If you weren't here two weeks ago, get online and listen to it. We preached on an altar. How God has commanded a man to build an altar. God told you to build an altar. In the New Testament, you are the altar. And in Exodus 20, verse 22, it says this. I'm going to bring it and then we're going to get into the story. It says, the Lord told Moses, He said, I want you to build an altar and build it out of our earth. And it says that so when you build it, I want you to see, it said, the Lord said to Moses, that thus shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have taught to, to you from heaven. We're going to read down to verse 24. You shall, make, you shall not make anything to be with me, God of gold, God of silver. You shall not make for yourselves. Keep going with me. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it 
your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you. And everybody read that last part. I will bless you. God wants to bless you. That's his intentions. That's his plan. God wants to bless you. But the Bible says the way God blesses you, you build an altar. And then he goes in and says that you're going to put sacrifices on it. We talked about this two weeks ago. I want to jump into a story that's going to be found in Joshua 22 today about um, a group of people that had a destiny of God called upon their life. Now, the children of Israel were actually Jacob's children and two of his grandchildren. We say the children of Israel, and we usually think of the nation, but it started out with one family, and then they grew to millions. But they were all the children of Israel, and out of the children of Israel, there were 12 what they called tribes. Each tribe had a different destiny on them. Each tribe was used by God mightily in different ways. God had great plans for them. God made great promises to them. Now, here in Joshua 22... We're coming to the end of Joshua. And what had happened now is the children of Israel had come into the promised land. And they had gotten the land that God had given, promised them. But we're going to pick up here at verse 22 because it kind of gets odd in this part. And I'm just going to read it and then I'll break it down for you. Joshua 22 says this. And then Joshua called the Reubenites the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant, of the, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren." as he promised them. Now therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which, I want you to understand this real good, it says, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. Let me pause right there just for a minute. Lay out your history, maybe help make sense. The children of Israel were 12 tribes. God promised the children of Israel the promised land. Everything from the side of the Jordan down to the borders that it's laid out in the scripture up into the mountains and borders. They had the promised land. All 12 tribes were promised the promised land. But the Bible says when they came to the Jordan River, about to go into the promised land, there were two and a half tribes that when they got to the Jordan, they said, you know what? We know what's over there. We know what God has promised us. But, you know, right here is not that bad. And the Bible says that there were two tribes, and I have two and a half tribes, that decided that they did not, they did not want to go through the river. They wanted to stay on this side of the river. God had promised them the promised land on the other side of the river, but they chose to stay on this side of the river. And the Bible says right there, Moses gave them that land. It wasn't God. It was Moses. Now, this is what happened though. 
when they came into the prom, came up to the promised land, and all the tribes wanted to go over, the two and a half tribes, the Gads, the Reubens, and uh, half the tribe of Manasseh, they said, we want to stay right here. This is what Moses did. Moses came up to them and said, hey guys, that's fine. You want to stay here? You can stay here. But this is what you're going to have to do. We're all going across. And because you're with us, and you're a part of us, you're going to help us. And you're going to, the Bible says Moses gave them a commandment that they had to go into the promised land with the other tribes and they had to fight the same battles the other tribes had to fight. They had to fight the same giants, conquer the same cities, but yet they were never going to get to live in the promised land because they chose to settle on this side of the river. But it was commanded they had to go fight. I don't know about you, but that sounds crazy to me. And then I start looking in my own life and realizing how many things that God has promised me. And I wonder how many times on this side of the river I chose to settle. What would make these guys choose to settle on this side of the river? I researched it and studied it and tried to find. And, you know, theologians believe, and this is, they, there's enough train of thought in it for them to say, they believe that they wanted to stay on this side of the river because the land on this side of the river was good for raising herds and keeping livestock. There was an economical gain there. There was a position to make life easier there. It was, it was, you know, an area that they could etch out a decent living or, or make a good home. And it was good for raising livestock. It was good to build a home and nobody else wanted it. Saying this to say this, how many places in our life do we quit wandering or looking toward what God has for us and start just trying to figure out a way where we can just live a decent, comfortable life. Because these guys, instead of being what God called them to be, they found an area where they could live, they could exist, they could get by, they could get up, work, support their family, get up, work, support their family. Life could be easy. They could grow large herds. They could, you know what I'm saying, get by, get, actually probably become successful where they are here. But it was not what God had called them or created them to be. But the sad part about it is this, and this is what I've learned. Any area in my life I've chose to settle short in, I had to fight the same battles of other people that have went to conquer in life over. You're going to fight the devil whether you're going for the promise or you're trying to stay on this side of the river and be comfortable. You're going to have to know. You're going to have to fight. The devil's going to fight you every day. He's going to get up every day and fight you. So my thing is this. If you're going to have to fight the devil, why don't you get the promises of God? Why would you settle for anything less? Because do you know what it takes to get the promises of God? It takes you being all in. You being all in. And that's what we're, I'm, we're going to talk about here this morning is being all in. Because see, if you don't choose to be all in, you're choosing to live a half-blessed life. Or you're, using, you're, you're choosing to live a, a life that is not quite what God wants it to be, but it's close enough you can fool people with it. You've got, you got enough success or enough blessing going on because you're close enough to the promise and there's enough to get by with, 
but it's not all that God has for you. But the sad thing about it is this. You still got to fight the same giants. You still got to fight the same battles. You just don't get anything that God has for you. The only thing they got, you got to understand, the only thing they got was what Moses gave them. So they were completely dependent on man. They had moved themselves in a place where what man had to offer them is what they lived with and contained and and possessed. But God, just on the other side of the river, had their land, their promises. Now, I want to tell you, well, I won't tell you that yet. We'll get there. So reading this, we're drawing the story. The battles have been won. The children of Israel that chose to go into the promised land, they got their possession. They had broke it out and separated it out. The two and a half tribes on this side of the river, after the battles were won, Joshua said, now you can go back to live where Moses has given you the land. Now, we're going to jump into this. It says now, half, uh, verse 7, now half the tribe of Messiah, Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in that town, but the other half of gave it to Jai, gave the possession among their brethren. Let's jump down to um, verse 9. It says, So the children of Reuben, the children of Gab, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land there of their possessions, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now in verse 10 it says this, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan. Now I want you to see this real good. It says, A great altar and an impressive altar. Now doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good, right? It, they, they went back to the land that they were comfortable living in. And then the Bible said this. They built a great altar, an impressive altar. Now, let's read on down. It says, Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on which the Lord... on with uh, Built an altar... Which one is my page? <laughs> Give me one second. Okay, boom. Built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shalom to go to war against them. Now, this is where it gets confusing, but I'm going to drop on down. We'll explain it just a bit more. Drop down to verse 24. I need to explain something about this altar to you because what happened here is, all right, they went back to their land. They said, hey, guys, let's build an altar. So the Bible says they built an altar. And when they built an altar, the other tribes that were in the promised land of what God had given them heard of this altar. They got very upset and they said, we got to go to war with them. And the Bible, as you read on down, decided they were going to have to come and kill the two tribes and the half tribe that were building this altar, which sounds crazy to me. Because anytime somebody builds an altar, you'd think that's a pretty good deal, right? I mean, it looked like they were doing what was right. They, they, they weren't going back and living in sin. They weren't going back and doing what they wanted to do. They, were, they went back, and the Bible says they said, let's build an altar. So let's find out what was wrong with this altar. In verse 24, it says, but in the fact, we have done it. We've done it for this reason. In the time to come, 
your descendants may speak to the descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben and you children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make your descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we say, Let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but it may be a witness. Everybody say witness. Between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with burnt offerings, with sacrifices, and with peace offerings that your descendants may not say that the descendants in this time have come, you have no part in the Lord. Let me explain it. If you're like me, you get, I get lost in the King James translation sometimes. But what happened was, all right, they went back to their land and said, let's build an altar. We want it to be a great altar. We want it to be an impressive altar. So they built an altar. But they wanted to build it not because they wanted to worship the Lord with this altar. They wanted to build an altar so that it would be a witness or it would be a sign to the other children of Israel that they served the Lord. Although they never served the Lord on it. Because the Bible says they never but it wasn't built to put a sacrifice on it. It was built for show. Saying this, what I want you to know is this. I don't ever want to be a person that serves the Lord with my lips because what I want other people to think or what I want other people to know And I do it for show. And I don't ever do it for service. This was not an altar to be built for service or obedience to the Lord. This was an altar that was to be built for show so that when their kids grew up, their kids would see this altar and get in their mind that we are people that know who God is. We are people that do religious things. We are people that belong to a church. We are people that go to church on Sundays. We are people that go to church on Easter. But when it comes to us actually sacrificing and giving our lives to God, we're not going to do it that far. Not only did they draw a line of compromise in the land of the promise, they also drew a line of compromise in their service to God. Now, saying all that to say this, if you want to have the life that God wants you to have, you're going to have to understand That God has a will, but there's also a God of the will. And if you want God's will, you can't get God's will your way. And I don't want to be a people, I don't want to be a church, and I don't want to be a man that does the religious thing because it makes people think good, it makes me look good, it makes people feel good, and it might even get me close enough to the promises of God that maybe I won't be bothered by certain things in the wilderness, but what it is is I'm not getting any benefit from it, from God, I'm just getting benefits from man. There is a difference in being sold out and being so close. The tribe 
of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they got so close, but yet failed so bad. They tried to look like they served the Lord, but they never actually went through the motions of serving the Lord. Because the Bible said this. The Bible said in Exodus, you build me an altar. Yes, they got that far. Then it says, then you place a sacrifice on the altar. And they decided, that's a little bit too much for me. We want an altar. We want an impressive altar. But I don't want all the mess that comes along with the altar. Because sacrifice is messy. Sacrifice is tough. Sacrifice is hard. But if you don't understand that you can't have God without doing it God's way, you will be so close to being what God wants you to be, but yet be so ineffective in being what God can cause you to become. Let me, let me say it like this. Those three tribes, they're on that side of the river, the tribe of Gad. If you follow their history and see where they went on down, they show up again in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there was a day that Jesus and his disciples got in a boat and Jesus said, we must go to the other side. And so they started going across the ocean or the sea, it says, and a great storm came upon them. The devil did everything the devil could possibly do to try to get Jesus and the disciples from getting over to the land, the Bible says, of the Galileans. The descendants of the tribe of Gad were the where the town became the town of the Galileans, And what was going on in the Galileans was the same thing. In the town of the Galileans was the same thing that was going on on the side of the Jordan. When you got to the Galileans, when they got to the side of the Galileans, there you found a people that were so concerned with making a living, so concerned with raising livestock, so concerned with all of that going on. The Bible says that when they got there, it was the town of the Galileans and the main pro the main business of the Galileans where they were raising pigs. Now you got to understand something. Jews did not rape pigs. As a matter of fact, it was not supposed, they were not even supposed to touch them. God said they were unclean, you didn't eat them. And so the thing about it was what the Jews were doing, they weren't raising pigs for themselves, they were raising pigs for the Romans. They were raising pigs for the very military force that was holding them captive. Why? Because compromise don't start overnight. Compromise is generational. And because their generations ago decided, you know what, God has all this promise for us, but we're pretty comfortable here. It's got great land. We could raise livestock here. They started building that life there instead of going over here where God told them to go. What they did was they got over there and not only were they compromising with their job and their lifestyles, the Bible says they were selling out their next generation. Because there was a little boy, the Bible says, that lived among the Galileans that was demon-possessed, and it said there was nobody in that area had the power to help him. 
says he was cutting himself in the tombs. Says he would, they would bind him with change and he would break them. He could not get free. He could not get peace. He could not get close enough to God to experience and change his certain circumstances, situations. Why? Because everyone that he was living with had made compromises and said, yeah, we'll be Jews, but we'll live like Romans. We'll, we'll, we'll live, we, we, we'll compromise at this level. And the Bible says Jesus had to go across the other side. Somebody had to come from somewhere else to set that, bed, that little boy free because the Galileans were powerless. You want to find out what happens when you just want to live a compromised Christian life? You want, to, you want to look like a Christian. You want to talk like a Christian. But you don't want to serve like a Christian. Then what happens is you live a powerless life. Any demon, any devil that wants to come against you and your kids will have a right. The Gadaleans were powerless. What about the, the Manassans? Well, when you follow the Manassans, you find um, the Manassans when there was a boy in a wine press pressing grain. And the Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared before him and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. God called him what he was supposed to be. But you've got to understand, Gideon was living what he was doing. And he said, I, I, I'm not a mighty man of valor. As a matter of fact, I'm from the Manassans. We're the smallest tribe, and I'm from the smallest family. You want to live a weak life? You look like a Christian, and you talk like a Christian, but you don't walk like a Christian, and you're going to live a weak, weak life. They were weak. The Manassas were weak. But then what about the Reubens? The Reubens, they were that other tribe. They, the Bible says that they were one of the lost tribes. We don't find them in the New Testament because what happened was somewhere through time, they just disappeared. The destiny of God on their life never was fulfilled. They just kind of disappeared into history. They never accomplished what God put them to accomplish. Why? Because they were never willing to walk into what God had called them to walk into. They got comfortable where they were. And I don't know if I'm bringing this together this morning, but I want to tell you this. There's more to your life than looking like a Christian and talking like a Christian. There's more to your life. God's called more to your life than just attending a church and calling yourself a Christian or a child of God. These were children of Israel, but they did not walk in the power, the strength, and the destiny that the children of Israel were destined to live in. Why? Why? Because they weren't all in. They would visit the promised land, but then they would go back and live on the other side of the Jordan. They weren't all in. They did not cross over and this become who they were. They kept going back and forth. And though they didn't build the altar to sacrifice, so they would actually have to go over the Jordan and go to where the real altar was to make sacrifice, to get right with God. But then they would go back 
to their home where they lived and dwelled and looked like, because they had an altar that was pretty and impressive, looked like they were what those were, but they weren't. What do you need to come over? Why do you got to sell all out? Because if you don't, this is what happens. Number one, if you don't sell out, if you don't get all in, three things take place in your life. Number one, those that don't sell out get bound. They get bound. If you stay on this side of the river, you're going to be, it will bind you, it will blind you, and it will confine you. I will explain those real fast and we're done. One, it'll bind you. They were bound to their past. They stayed on this side of the river because for the last 40 years, they had gotten used to living in a wilderness. God had a promised land for them, but because they did not, it was unusual, it was not comfortable, it was not going to, it would take faith, it would take them having to trust God, it would take them having to be able to do something that they'd never done before, it would take them being able to let God do a new thing in their life, they decided to stay where they were comfortable, where they had grown up where they had always been taught. Because see, these guys, they, are, they weren't in Egypt. They were wilderness dwellers. Everybody that came out of Egypt died. This was the new generation. These were the own, they had only lived in the wilderness and they were too afraid to leave it. Because they didn't understand how powerful God is. If I get out of what I know and get into a place that I don't know, then I might actually have to trust God. But if I don't, if I don't have to get out of what I know, then I can stay on this side of the river, and if I don't, if God's not doing it the way I think He should do it, at least I'll know how to do it. I don't know what you're bound to, but a lot of us get bound into the way we've always done church, or we get bound into the way we've always done family, or we get bound into the way we've always done marriage, or we get bound into all, all how we've always done God. But I want you to know something. If it's bound to your past, and God's telling you to move forward, you will never experience life the way God wants you to. If you're bound to the way it's always been done, or if you're bound, you, you can't trust God enough to maybe do something you don't understand, or trust God to be able to move you to a place that maybe you're not in control. And if you allow yourself to be bound, then what's going to happen is, first it binds you, then it blinds you. People get blind spiritually, not because they don't have eyes on the front of their face. It's because... They're, they've compromised in places that God has told them to step out. The Bible says there was a woman at the well that sat there, and Jesus said, I mean, amazing. Do you understand the opportunity that Jesus gave this young lady? It was the only person that I, uh, that I can find in the Scripture that Jesus asked to, for somebody to serve him. Every other time, Jesus was serving them. This was the only time Jesus asked her. He said, will you give me a drink of water? Now, what do you think the reward of that would have been? He never asked anybody else to do something like that. And he said, will you give me a drink of water? And she looked at him and said, you don't got nothing to drink out of. Do you understand? He was saying, listen, 
I'm willing to drink out of what you drink out of. What you're drinking, what I don't mind sharing with you. Jesus don't mind getting in your situation. Jesus don't mind getting in your mess. He's not scared of your backwash. He's not scared of whatever you, you've got going on. He told this Samaritan woman, he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, total racial issues, man, woman thing. He said, you know what, I don't mind drinking after you. That's a big thing. And she said, she said, you know, you don't have anything to drink. And he said this. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, she could not see. That's what she said. She said, he said, if you knew. And he said this. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink. And she said, what's wrong with my water? What's wrong with my well? I've been drinking out of this well my whole life. This is my daddy's well. It's Jacob's well. I've been drinking out of this thing. And she almost missed the opportunity to get something from God because she was so stuck in the way she'd always done it. She said, what's wrong with my water? There's nothing if this is as far as you want to go. What's wrong with the way you do it? Nothing if this is as far as you want to go. If if you're not willing to let God take you into a step that you've never been, you're going to miss out on what God, and and you won't even see it. But what you will see is other people's lives being blessed. And you will see other people being used by God. And you'll be seeing other people reach the promised land. But you'll sit back here frustrated and upset. Weak powerless and without a destiny because you're not willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to be bound here and I'm not going to be blind here. I'm going to get to where God can show me anything he wants to show me his way. But then the reason why the enemy wants to blind you is because the enemy's wanting to confine you. He wants you to live a little life. The littler life you live, the less damage you do to his kingdom. You ever um, had a flat tire? <laughs> Always at the worst moments? <laughs> and you get out and you, you're like, oh my gosh. And so you Instagram it or you Facebook it. The devil's fighting today. And you take it off and you go to your trunk and you get out the donut. You ever got the donut out? And you put it on. And it's not a real tire. I mean, the real tire is here. This is here. But on the side of that tire, it says this. Do not exceed 50 miles an hour and do not go over 50 miles. So you start instantly planning. I got to get to Walmart. I got to get to... um, you know, Goodyear, I got to get get a tire. And so three weeks later, you pull up to get that tire off. But all the time you allowed that little tire to stay on there, you thought it was helping you. You didn't realize it was impeding you from being able to accomplish or go as fast or as far as you have the ability to go. A lot of times what happens is, see, the enemy wants you to stay where you're comfortable because it makes you feel okay, makes you feel like you're going somewhere, but you don't understand comfortable is always, always keeping you from being at your potential. God has never been pleased with comfortable. Never. Because He says that He can only be pleased by faith. 
If you're not living a life that says, God, if I don't have you today, I'm not going to make it. God, and not because you're trying to survive, but because you took a step across the river and said, I'm all in. God, whatever you want to do with me, I will do. Wherever you want to send me, I will go. I'm all in. Every promise in the Word, I will go after full-heartedly, even if it means me getting to a place that I'm uncomfortable. Because if you don't, you will be confined. You will be running a 5.0 on a donut that won't allow you to exceed 50 miles an hour or go more than 50 miles ahead. When you're sitting in a vehicle that could take you around the world, the will of God for your life is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. God's plans for you are so much greater than any dream that you've ever even thought you wanted to be. The problem is, anywhere you've decided that this was far enough, anywhere you've given up and you've bound yourself to past hurts, past disappointments, past failures, past pains, past habits, past emotions, past expectations, and God can't empower you, He can't strengthen you, and He can't release destiny into you. So you say, Cricket, I'm all in. I'm all in. You say, well, Cricket, how do you get all in? It's real simple. What was the altar missing? The altar that almost got them killed, what was it missing? It was missing sacrifice. Now, next week, that's where I'm going to pick up sacrifice. But the Bible says real clear that there's something that must come before sacrifice. And a lot of us get this wrong. I got it wrong for years. There's something more important than sacrifice. Although this altar kept was missing sacrifice, what they really missed was this next step. And God said it real clear. In 1 Samuel, He said this, There was a man that had an anointing to be a king. But because... Because he chose to omit this part of his life, and he tried to jump ahead with the sacrifice, the Bible says he lost his anointing and he lost his destiny. So sacrifice is important, and we're going to talk about that next week. And so i got to be honest with you, if you get offended when people talk about you selling out and giving all, you're going to be offended next week. But I don't want to go to a church that don't challenge me. I don't want to go to a church that will leave me on this side of the river and while everybody else just go over there. And so next week, it's going to be a very challenging message. I'm just giving you the heads up, up front. But before you can get to that one, you need to understand that you can, the Bible says, obedience is better than sacrifice. It was the children of Israel, the Gad, the Reubens, and half the tribe of Manasseh. If they would have been obedient to God with Exodus 20, verse 22 through 24, and it says, build an altar, burn a sacrifice, and God will bless you. If they would have been obedient there, then they wouldn't have found themselves in Joshua 22, 
being settled on this side of the river. But because they didn't choose to be obedient, obedient is all in. All in. I, I, my girls, I had to, I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, and I may offend people when I say this, but we spank our children because they need it. <laughs> I never got spanked growing up. I got whooped. There's a difference. There's a difference in getting whooped and spanked. I don't whoop my children. I spank my children. But last week I had to spank my child because I would tell her, I told her to do something and she chose to do it the way she wanted to do it. And you got to understand, I didn't spank her because I hate her. Didn't spank her because I was mad. Matter of fact, well, after I did it, I always, you, almost every time I spanked my children, I'd go into another room and I usually cry because I don't like hitting girls. One, two, these are the most precious little girls you'll ever see. And three, it just breaks my heart. But I knew if I did not teach her obedience, I've just robbed her of her destiny. Because I don't care how old you are or what position you hold, obedience will be a part of your life from here on out. And I had to teach this child obedience. Because if she will be obedient to dad, dad can bless her beyond her wildest dreams. As a matter of fact, I'll be driving back to Alabama tonight, and I'm going to be stopping at a store to buy that kid something that when she gets up in the morning, she will go, wow. Not because of disobedience, but because yesterday morning before I left, I asked her to come out and help me clean the yard. And she did for four hours, sit out there and worked with I did everything I asked her to do and didn't complain once. I reward obedience. I have to, I have to discipline disobedience because it robs destiny. And so what I'm saying is this, it don't matter how much sacrifice you do. If you don't have obedience in your life, sacrifice don't matter. If I tell, if my dad called and said, hey, Cricket, I want you to mow the yard, and I go to his house, and I paint his bedroom, I clean every window, I make his bed, wash his dishes, wash his car, you know, do all I can do, clean his garage, and he comes home, and the grass isn't mowed, I wasn't obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible says. So what happens is a lot of times as Christians, we are like these tribes. We, we will sacrifice at times to please God. But sacrifice doesn't please God. Obedience does. And if you're not obedient, it negates the sacrifice. I'm going to say something very hard and some people are going to go, you can get mad at me, but I'm just telling you, if you want to be used mightily by God, you've got to learn to be obedient. And what does obedient mean? It means being submissive. Every single person in this room right now, the Holy Spirit, when I say this, is going to touch you somewhere that you know God has asked you to do something a certain way and whether or not you've chosen to do it, this is what God wants to do in your life today. Give you a chance to get that right. I don't know about There's areas in my life. This morning, I was praying. Driving here, God, what area am I disobedient in? And God brought one up to me of something that He's been prompting me on the inside to do 
for, I'm looking back now, and it seems like months, but it was just a very little nudge. I was able to brush it away and push it off because I wasn't putting the importance on obedience. But when I focus in on God, where can I be obedient to you because it's better than sacrifice? God, it means more to you when I'm obedient than it does when I go sacrifice the big things. Then that little thing that didn't seem that important all of a sudden got real big in my life. And I told the Lord, Lord, I'm going to do it today. I'm not going to put it off anymore. I'm going to be obedient because I want to be all that you've called me to be. I'm going to say this because there's no better way for me to say it that you will understand it. And when I say it, people instantly get upset because they think that it's about this, but it's not. It's a heart issue, but this is the easiest way to say it. When people... The difference between obedience and sacrifice is this. And I'm going to say money, and I don't mean money because money is not what we're doing today. It's something else. God's not after your money today. That's, they don't, it's something else. But when I say it in money terms, you can see it a little better. A lot of times in my life, I would want to, I w- I would want to sow a seed or give an offering or sacri- give a sacrifice to the Lord. And I would go to a church service and I would do it. I would give God $100 or you know, $50, $20, wherever I was at that time. And I would walk out of there and try to feel so good about myself thinking that I had just sacrificed great for God. But what would happen is I wouldn't see the blessings of God in my life for it. Have you ever been there? Thought something was going to be awesome and it just wasn't awesome? And I would say, God, why, why in the world, why haven't you blessed me there? I, I sowed that seed, I sowed that seed because there's a progression. You have to be obedient before you sacrifice for sacrifice to work. And because I wasn't a tither, tithing is not sacrifice. Get this out of your head. Tithing is not sacrifice. Tithing is obedience. And so in the area of blessing financially, I'm just saying this because money's connected. The Bible says it's not money, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Money's a heart thing. And so I'm saying that because I don't know, maybe, maybe your issue is not the, maybe it's that when you walk out of here, the obedience is you quit using your wife's past failure or your husband's past failure every time you get in an argument to tear her down. That might be your place of obedience. And God can't bless your marriage until you get in obedience and decide, I'm not going to use their past failure against them anymore. God's erased it. I erase it. you got to choose what is your area of obedience. Maybe yours is in school. Maybe that you're, you're stuck in this dead-end job and God's been telling you for months to go get in school, go get in, in, uh, into college, go enroll so that I can move you into a place of destiny. Your destiny is always connected to a step of obedience. We want it to be connected to a step of sacrifice because if I can just sacrifice when it's convenient, then I don't have to walk obedient every day I get up. But obedience is a daily choice. Sacrifice is a one-time event. And see, Bob says obedience is better than sacrifice. There is something in your life right now God has been asking you to change, asking you to repent of, asking you to do different, but you haven't done it yet, and you need to know it's keeping you from the promise of God. It's keeping you from God being able to move you into where you know you need to be moved into. And so today, before we get into sacrifice, I'm going to talk about sacrifice next week, and it's not going to be easy, but I want to give you a chance to 
today to get positioned to where sacrifice will mean something. Get positioned where sacrifice will be beneficial in your life. And the only way sacrifice can be beneficial in your life is if you move your life to a place of obedience. And you say, well, what is obedience? Obedience is saying, God, not my way, your way. I submit to your will. And it ain't easy. When I tell my girls to clean their room, they mess it up real bad. It's not a quick fix. They don't get to go in there and just kick everything under the bed. They actually got to clean their room. It takes them usually an hour. And it, so it usually takes time and effort and energy, and it's not easy. Obedience is never easy, but it's always rewarded. It's always rewarded. And so today, I'm just going to ask you to do this. You say, well, Cricket, how do I... How do I get from this? I, I, I know I'm not obedient the way God wants me to be. You simply ask God to forgive you in this area. And you make the decision that in this area is going to be different. I'm going to be different from this point on. The way my girl, my little girl, she, I told her, I said, Lexi, quit speaking hateful to your sister. That's what we had to talk about. She's probably watching. So that lady said, quit being hateful to your sister. Wasn't five minutes. She was, I hate you. Blah, blah, blah. you know, girls are mean. Guys don't do that stuff. <laughs> girls are mean. And, and so I would put up as a kid. I, it wasn't even two minutes. So I had to whip her for it. And said, not that I enjoyed it. But if I wouldn't have... That external voice that she was thinking about her sister that we were talking about earlier at the beginning would dominate the relationship her and her sister would have going forward. And she can't do anything about the voice that she was hearing or feeling, but she can choose to focus in on what dad told her to do. And so when she feels like, I hate you, sister, but dad says, not being disobedient, I mean, not being hateful, and she keeps her mouth shut, what will happen is that voice will eventually lose its power in her life because they don't hate each other. They love each other greatly. Obedience gives you the power to stop what the enemy's doing in your life. It gives you the power. I mean, the, the, the devil's one to, the Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anytime you're obedient, he can't do it. The Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may. Everybody say may. That means has the ability to or the opportunity to. Can means ability. May means permission. Can means ability. The devil can't destroy your life any area that you're walking in obedience. And so God is saying this. I want you to reach your destiny. I'm not going to make it difficult for you. It may be uncomfortable for a little bit. You may have been in a, like that all, the, all these children, all the three tribes had to do was just walk across the, la- the river, fight the same battles they fought, but God was going to give them a portion of the land that they may not have quite known the geographical layout of it yet, so there had been a season of unfamiliarity, but it wouldn't have been just a moment of time, and that would have been their new home. Instead of spending years struggling, powerless, weak, and missing their destiny. All out of an act of obedience. I say to, I'll tell you this, say this. Disobedience grows. If you allow disobedience to stay in one area of your life, 
If I let my little girl talk to her sister the way that she felt like she wanted to, it wouldn't have been a couple days later she would have been speaking to her mother the same way. And then we would have got on down the road and she would have been speaking to her father that same way. We'd have got down the road, she'd have been speaking to her teachers. And God forbid she would have ever spoke to a, a police officer or a maid or something in her future. Disobedience grows. Any area you allow yourself to knowingly be disobedient, you let it stay there and you don't get it before the Lord repent for it and choose to walk in it, you'll be right over here and what started out as maybe just this little thing, you'll be over here on this side of the river trapped in a life that you can't get out of because disobedience grows. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute and we're not going to come forward on an altar call. What we're going to do is this. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit right now to touch you in a place in your heart that you need to repent of and ask God to forgive you for being disobedient right here. And then I'm going to let you in your own words let God know how you're going to walk out of here and do that differently. And then you're going to ask God to help you do it differently from this point on. You say, well, Cricket, what if I mess up? Get up and do it again. Get up and do it again. The Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up and continues on. The Bible says that a Christian, it was written to great, confess your sins. It says if you'll, be, if you'll confess your sins, he'll be faithful just to forgive you of your sins. I mean, no matter how many times you have to repent, keep repenting. It's the ones that get comfortable with it are the ones that are in trouble. If you're okay with being disobedient, you've built a lifestyle. And when you get a lifestyle built, you've built a camp on a comfortable spot that will rob you of your destiny. Amen? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. But I, I want to get this in. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God wants an obedient life because if He can find one person that will be obedient to Him, He can use that one person to change a family, to change a city, to change a nation, to change your world. One person that will say, not my will. Jesus had to do it. Not my will, but your will. God, not my way. Your way. And the promises of God will be released into your life simply by you saying, God, I may not understand why, but I will do it because you said so. Just because you said so. And it don't, God, don't, your parents don't have a problem with asking why. Did your kid ever say why? Uh, were y'all one of these guys that said that were a parent and you always said, you know, I'm never going to say because I said so? I, I've caught myself here. My little girls, I said, guys, it's time to go to bed. Why? Because it's night. Why? Because the sun went down and now it's dark outside and the, it spins. And, but, and so that's the way God made it. Why? Because um, I said so. Go to bed. I, 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 I don't have a problem my kids ask me why, but it gets to a point where they're going to do it because I said so. Because I'm daddy and I know what's best for them. You can either choose, the Bible says, you can throw yourself on the rock and be broken or the rock will fall on you. You can either choose to be obedient to God or circumstances will push you to your knees where you'll find yourself begging, God, please, let me get another shot at this thing. Give me another chance with my wife. Give me another chance with my children. Give me another chance on my job. Give me another chance in my... I'm telling you, you can choose 
obedience. Or you will learn obedience. Because obedience is better than sacrifice.